This is Theory for Turntables, the TFT podcast. I'm Matt. That's Ryan. Ryan, I think ahead of you. I think instead of you. Will you spend your life with me and stifle me? Matt, heat from the sun some days slowly passes. Until then, you have to live with yourself. Ah. I do, and I feel so trolled by that, but I'm glad that that uh, after one episode of Ryan and I trolling each other, punk correspondent Rachel D. decided that she had to come back and save the podcast and save us from ourselves. Uh, so here she is, uh, unbearable, cerebral, popular demand from cradle to grave, the simple diary of man. Hey, you, so what you gonna do, Rachel? Oh, you're going to represent my intention? You need more than a mic and a mention. <laughs> and uh, we are also joined by a special guest uh, theorist for Turntables, uh, the, the person on whose uh, recommendation we are covering this week's album. It is our friend Jordan Stokes. Jordan, I got a letter from the government the other day, opened it and read it. It said they were suckers. They wanted me for their army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said never. Which all I can say is, which I think is probably the most important lyric on the album. <laughs> all right. So uh, if you haven't if you haven't guessed it yet, I mean, if those you know if those top forty uh, pop hits didn't you know didn't uh, uh, tip you off to what's going on we are doing the 1995 debut album of the producer and rapper tricky uh the album entitled maxine quaye quaye and it is named after her mother whose name is maxine quaye or quay uh and uh, it's put into one put into one word maxine quaye uh we'll we'll just call it the album so as to not embarrass ourselves any further uh with trying to pronounce it now now uh jordan i have a question for you later but uh uh first can can you just say what prompted you to uh suggest this album for the time when we are uh when we are kind of proceeding through 1995 you know, I, I follow Theory for Turntables, and I have a list of albums in the back of my head that every now and then I'll listen to one of your episodes and think, oh, man, I wonder what they have to say about this. And sometimes the only way that I can make sure that you guys will talk about an album is by volunteering myself to, like, to come on as tribute and talk about it with you. I really want to know what you guys think of this. <laughs> uh, and and we want to know what you think of it. I hope you've you've come with uh, I hope you've come with with uh, some thinkings as no. well. <laughs> <laughs> You're just right, going to ride the mute button for the rest of the hour. This is just a live command podcast taping. <laughs> well, if you if you haven't come if you haven't come with the no, thinkings, no. I hope you've at I least come. I have a question for you. Well, that's too bad because it's not. It's not. (laughs) It's not question time yet. Um, The uh, yeah. If you haven't come with thinkings, I hope you've at least come with chill flute samples. You know. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And just a general sense of a general sense of of like a, a drug fueled orgy in skins or something like that. 
Well, uh, this is, I think, the really cr crucial question that we're going to get to is, does this album have an idea or does it have a cool flute sample? But I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> uh, so we talk a lot about the, um, the occasional use of music, the kind of the instrumental use of it and what, what it's good for. Uh, Ryan and Rachel, what did, did, did this uh, spur you on in your running, in, in your training to, uh, to greater and greater heights of, of uh, pace? Uh, yeah, no. Well, I don't know about pace per se or speed, but it was excellent uh, long distance running music. Uh, it's it would because it's rhythmic and has a very like clear, distinct beat. Yet was also kind of calming uh, and moody. It's good for uh, entering that you know ideally meditative headspace for long distance running, and I thought it worked well as a running album. Yeah. Well, and it was it was on a playlist as part of uh, a a it was about the first what about forty five minutes of a a ten mile run, <laughs> so it was about the first half of a playlist uh, that Rachel constructed that actually considered con uh, included some other kind of contemporaries and influences, right? Yeah, no, I, I followed this album with a bunch of Nellie Hooper remixes from the time. Uh, and Nellie Hooper was, I think, one of the, he was one of the original members of the Wild Bunch, which uh, was a, I guess, like a sound, I think it was sound like system. a sound system in Bristol. And uh, those members became Massive Attack as well. And he splintered off, moved to London, and then became like a, a pretty prominent producer in the 90s. Um, I think one of the more notable, like, he did a lot of remixes, um, and I think kind of most notably, he did the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack, and he did the production and remix of the number one crush song by Garbage. Um, so it's like that kind of sound, I would say, is kind of like what all these Nelly Hooper remixes sound like. Um, and it also led, this playlist led down this, like, kind of just Bristol wormhole, right? Because then we put on uh, Nanny Cherry's Raw Like Sushi album, um, and then, you know, ended the whole thing with some Massive Attack and Porter's Head tracks. So it became this interesting uh, kind of exploration of Bristol music at that, uh, you know, of, of the early 90s. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting. And the whole... Uh... The whole sort of thing. Massive Attack, of course, best known for uh, composing Teardrop, the theme song to House, the television show. And Tricky, best known for his role in The Fifth Element, the uh, Luc Besson, Bruce Willis uh, sci-fi adventure uh, film from uh, from a little later than... than than this album so it's you know uh, everyone went hollywood i guess um every, everyone everyone sold out all right so well get a I, either set yourself up for a long distance run you know if you're going if you're going 10 miles just just uh pop this in and uh and and you know follow it up with with some other music down the bristol wormhole and uh if you're if you're not then i don't know maybe yeah, lounge on a lounge on a purple couch somewhere and uh and put this on the sound system and see what uh see see what comes up for you as you listen to Max and Quay by Tricky and uh meet us back here after you've listened to it uh after you've listened to it and after this word from our commercial sponsor. Hey Matt, are you facing existential anomie and hopelessness? Kind of. 
Well, I've got some drugs for you. Now, the drugs will not help. Oh, <laughs> nothing, nothing helps. They really don't. I'd take the drugs anyway, though. <laughs> okay. Wow. You're right. It's more of the same. It's existential anomie. <laughs> Kind of like that. Would you like to try a pumpkin spice latte? <laughs> <laughs> well, that I think is the that's the question. I think not, but the pumpkin spice latte probably wouldn't help any less than the drugs would. Should, should we should we pull it back? <laughs> should we come up for air? <laughs> this episode brought to you by Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> pumpkin spice lattes for when the drugs don't help and we're back jordan i have a question yeah uh, yeah uh, is our hops tripping <laughs> <laughs> well so i always try to answer these things seriously to say that our hops are tripping would say that essentially Trip hop is a hop that trips rather than a trip that hops. <laughs> I yes. love that that is the serious answer. <laughs> and I think that that's actually a really interesting question. Is this basically a species of hip hop that got a little bit weirded out? Or is this like acid freak out music with a little bit of a hip hop like vibe to it? Um, I think, based on the Public Enemy cover, that this probably is hop that trips rather than trip that hops. That it's basically rap. Like, that's the, that is the bedrock grammar of what's going on and what we need to understand it all through, rather than, like, starting with, I don't know, like, King Crimson or something like that, and just imagining what a drum machine would do to that particular kind of band. So, asked and answered. <laughs> Next. <laughs> I think we're done. We nailed it. <laughs> Pack it up. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So, so to, uh, to sort of to, to spin that out a little bit more, um, what is the particular value to, like, the broader hip-hop project of doing something that's this trippy, Right. Like, what, what's the point? There have been other things like that that have come up. Like, uh, for a fairly left-field connection, you can think about, like, uh, it's not chewed and scrapped. Screwed and chopped uh, hip-hop, right? Uh, that, like, that sort of Texas, Deep South thing where everything is meant to approximate the experience of listening to regular hip-hop while you're, when you've been drinking cough syrup, Right. And they're like, they slow everything down and slur it. And there it's about like recreating the pharmaceutical vibe, right? Making it sound like you're high even when you're not high, which I think that Tricky does do that. Like definitely this sort of sounds like a fairly disappointing drug experience writ large. But I don't think, I don't think that's the point of it. I think that the point is something, something else. Uh, so, so my question to you is maybe uh, what what might that point be, or how can we get into some some vicinity of that point? So, Ryan, I have I have a question for you now, and and okay. Rachel as well. Uh, you know this uh, this tricky with his his uh, ambient lo-fi production with his uh, you know experimental textures with his um, uh, sort of long repetitions without uh, a ton of tension building without you know without a ton of the easy satisfactions of popular music and and so on. Uh, 
Is he an experimental noise collective? You know, I that's that's an interesting question. I think so, because I think the other kind of project I view this as is I think it is I do think that it's like a project or expansion of hip hop. But um I think because it is coming through I think it's I think as I went in the Bristol wormhole, I became more and more enamored of uh kind of like the idea of Bristol, right? Um Bristol is like a port town. Uh, it's a very racially diverse town, and it has a very large, like, Jamaican, um, like, immigrant population. Uh, like, and so, like, and I guess it's part of, like, the British Jamaican diaspora, right, in that sense. So I think you have these elements there that make, you know, hip-hop filtered through Bristol is going to have this kind of influence of, of like, dub and um, kind of other, you know, I, I think, and particularly to me, like dub as being like a touch point. And I think dub is about as experimental of a music as I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, it's, I don't, you know, I, I can't think of anything sort of more like, you know, like flying through space than listening to dub. <laughs> so I, I do think it, to me, you know, that that's like the most experimental, like interesting music I can think of more than any like noise rock band <laughs> has ever made. Well, but, and I think it's interesting because that there are, is both kind of the direct influence of dub. And so there's one way in which this is, you can sort of see this as taking elements of dub and, you know, also of, of reggae and kind of other Caribbean musics and kind of combining them um, with, with hip hop. But then I think that, you know, even both before tricky and kind of concurrent with tricky, that there were also ways in which kind of elements of dub and some of the kind of studio kind of tricks and techniques of dub were picked up on by other, either kind of noise or punk bands. I mean, cause I actually, what I, I, what I was actually preparing for Matt was you to ask us whether uh, tricky was a punk band. <laughs> and I, I think that what that got me to thinking of was, was something that, I hadn't thought of when listening to this was um, Public Image Limited, uh, limited, right, in the metal box, yeah. which was, um, I think, a pretty, you know, in terms of thinking about similar incorporations of kind of some t- techniques and sounds of dubs really there um, in in kind of the punk, uh, the punk and noise space. And more recently, um, and what we talked about, you know, within the last month, uh, Fugazi was playing with similar sounds um, on Red Medicine, which was uh, from right around the same time. Um, so I think that these, I, I mean, so I think that, but, you know, to, to kind of take every piece, so that, I think that's like, so I think it's definitely yes on um, experimental and um, on noise. And I think that, it, you know, it's a collective, insofar as it's a a collective of, I mean, at the core, a collective of two, right? Um, in in the in terms of the strong partnership between kind of producer and rapper and um, and 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 vocalists, um, and kind of you know with the kind of predominant um, features of Martina Topley Bird, who's kind of mostly there, but also I think a rotating cast of a few other vocalists show up, um, and so that creates some of that collective element and, and then i think that the 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 use of of samples 
and and covers right like like Jordan mentioned with the um, public enemy cover uh, which which is crazy right so the public enemy album is an album I know reasonably well that we covered on this podcast and it took Rachel pointing out that it was a cover uh, <laughs> to, to like realize it right uh, because it, it is so morphed and wrapped uh, and warped rather um, but wrapped is an interesting for it is is that it's it, you know in some ways because with the addition of a melody line um, and in addition to turning it kind of into a punk song or a post-punk song um, that it really, I think that that kind of, that, that blending together of the kind of influences and vocalists and samples and live instrumentation um, that is there creates a sense of collectivity that then blends with the experimentalness and the noiseness. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it's in, it's interesting. I think there is sort of the noise impulse. I mean, we talk about when we talk about rock and hip hop, we're talking about kind of two, or maybe we conceive of them as poles or as separate places on a continuum or different um, places on a map, and that can be done uh, across a lot of different a lot of different axes. Um, the, it's interesting to me that there is there is this other this other impulse that, that perhaps this sort of continuum is actually, uh, you know, uh, multidimensional, that there is another place, right. Where, where, um, there's another place where like both, uh, noise tending music from, from the rock camp, like it goes through the public image limited direction and the kind of the noise tending, uh, hip hop music goes in the, in the noise, in the noise direction. And it's not like they're going towards each other. They're going towards some sort of, you know, notional third point on, uh, on a triangle that is, that is sort of its own thing rather, it has its own identity rather than being, you know, necessarily just a hop that trips or a a, a trip that hops, and like there, there's, de- I mean, there's definitely like in all of it the sense of kind of creating soundscapes. Like it's it's maybe less. It, if you think of if you think of a lot of music, a lot of music creates events, right? Like it establishes a language, or it sort of uses a language that you're familiar with to organize time into you know, sort of establishing some things, building tension and then paying off. Um, that's how pop music works anyway. And like to, to a certain extent, that's how, I don't know, symphonies work and, and whatnot. Um, this rather than creating events, this, this music seems to me to be focused on creating atmosphere or creating environment. Uh, and so like all rather than I sort of have a, a difficult time talking about specific events on the thing because I kind of, I I experience it more as a state of mind or I experience it as a kind of, um, you know, as a, as a kind of vibe, right. As a kind of hashtag vibes that, um, uh, that, that I just kind of get, get pulled into rather than, rather than as something that I watch the, uh, I watch the progress uh, progression of over time. So that I mean, this is like to me, it's like uh, yes, our hips is our our trips is hopping, our hops is tricking tripping. Um, yes, we are sort of going in a a post punk 
maybe, you know, ambient even direction. And, uh, and it, it, it is sort of rather than, rather than being a, uh, a, a degraded or even a kind of, um, not degraded, but sort of altered version of, uh, of a good original, right? It, it seems to be, there seems to be this strange gravitational pull towards the noise, towards, towards the, the trippiness, you know, towards the ambientness that, that towards the loungeness, um, towards, uh, towards the, the, the chill wave that, um, I don't know that that pulls a lot of that pulls a lot of bands for for a lot of different reasons, and it's interesting to me because it's not it's not the usual stuff that I listen to. I think though this album actually does a good job though of not totally succumbing to that. I actually think there's like a number of tracks that to me actually meet the kind of definition of of like having events or, or or like having like a pretty like consistent and clear structure. Like I would say, for example, like the title track, uh, like the first track, Overcome, I think is a very like clear structure. And even like the sampling, like kind of uh, changes much like, I guess, like much like if you were listening, like a hip hop song, right? Where like some of the background samples are also signal kind of like verse, chorus, verse, bridge, change in structure to the pop song, you know, to like a kind of pop structure. And I think there's like a couple of other tracks that to me sort of do a fairly good job of creating that even like um the hell is round the corner to me has a pretty you know even though it feels like a little like meandering and, and languorous it does have this like verse chorus verse uh kind of or like there's a trade-off there there's like different segments yeah they're structure structure wise that's true of a lot of them i i mean even black steel the first time black steel came on it was like oh this could be this is kind of a garbagey sounding song not not you yeah. know what I mean? The band garbage yeah. sounding song because of the way the uh, because you take of, that back. You take that back. This is a good album. No, it's Butch Vig could have Butch Vig could have produced this. Um, the uh, that like with the bass, the kind of the bass line, you know, kind of establishes a, a establishes a feel, and then the drums are really are really prominent rather than being kind of buried in a lot of swirling atmosphere or or stuff like this. This is something that had a you know had a lot of uh, uh, forward momentum and and seemed like um, popular music at the time. I mean, chart topping popular music uh, at the time. I don't know, Jordan. Uh, you have thoughts would, you want to contribute here? There's, there's something interesting about that actually, um, which is that presence of a song structure is what makes this different from, say, um, some of the some of the real dub that I've heard really basically doesn't, you know. Um, and also, when you think about ambient music as a category, sort of what's definitional there is the absence of an actual song structure. I feel like, um, and also absence of vocals with lyrics. But but uh, but put that aside. One of the interesting things that I read about uh, about this album and about trip hop was that it was something that when it came out, everyone was like, this is the next thing. Nothing will ever be the same. And then like, you know, maybe three years later, it was like, this is the music they play in a fancy hotel lobby. You know, (laughs) it it turned, it turned out to be very digestible in a way that say ambient music is maybe not quite, you know, and dub certainly is not. And I wonder if, um, you know, not to not to come down too hard on the album because I do think it's pretty great, and this one is maybe less digestible than a lot of trip hop is. That 
that faithfulness to song structure and hook and so forth um, may be what allows it to be consumed without being considered in a way that then kind of robs it of its um, of its disquieting power. Hmm. What is what is disquieting about ambient music? Right, like what? what yeah. Period. Question I mark. Mean, well, I feel like there's lots of ambient music which is not disquieting at all. Like elevator music is literally uh, quieting, right? And that is ambient <laughs> music. But when I think of um, – there's a strain of sort of dark ambient techno. Uh, like you can find the – there's an Aphex Twin album called like Selected Ambient Works, Volume 1 and Volume 2. And those are all pretty jarring and off-putting tracks. And kind of um, one thing here again, I feel like there's an instructive difference from uh, from Max and Quay, which is that uh, – in those, a lot of what gives them their ability to disturb is their um, their lack of incident, the amount of silence, of negative space, and so on. Which, again, I think is very much true of dub. Like, you listen to dub, you're listening to silence yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really, really jarring if you're expecting there to be something. Whereas, um, although Tricky will, like, drop down to almost nothing for, like, 10 seconds at a time or something like that, in a way that speaks to a very deep familiarity with, like, the sonic strategies of dub, he seems to fear the silence too you know uh the the disturbing qualities here are more ones of presence than one of ones of absence yeah no i do think um i I mean i think i agree with that like and there's a number of songs that to me like actually are are very busy and like in that respect like i they remind me a lot of like if i was listening like bc voice or public enemy songs right because like they're just there were so many samples and like so much going on in in the you know it's not like the like so it's interesting because i I do think there's this like very interesting mix of um both kind of having the the very like busy overly layered very like maybe like um, just like the many samples many textures and then like dropping it down to like one or two things right one or two kind of um sonic touchstones for a song and like kind of creating i think variety and tension on the album that way yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, I think that I, I noticed this as well. And I think especially I mean, I think this is an album where and there are a lot of albums where this is the case where the difference between listening to it um, on your speaker versus in your headphones and like right in your ear is like the effect is like very different. Right. Like when it's in a room, it kind of absorbs into the room. And and I think that level of the detail and how kind of crammed it is all becomes one kind of thing. And it feels more chill than it really is. Right. So oh, that's like- interesting, because that was my experience. I happened to be I happened yeah. to have a couple of long drives. So I yeah. put it on on loop and and would I like listen to it two and a half, three times on a three hour drive one way and then same thing on the way back. And it definitely maybe that kind of accounts for my perception of it because it definitely kind of blended into the landscape a little mm, bit. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it definitely I think it scales with like. Right. So you were like hot boxing the album basically <laughs> in your car. Um, and, and that's still I think even like better in a, like than like, you know, playing through like the large speakers in our apartment where 
where it was really just filling the apartment. Um, but then, you know, with our like in-ear earbuds, <laughs> you know, uh, our, our running Bluetooth headset uh, is just it was in there. And you and and I actually really felt the the lack of, of chillness that I think uh, what Rachel was describing. And it's, it's you know, this, some of what becomes chill is from production and is also because of the I think where the tempos are. Right. And this is like an interesting thing where I think one tends to think that um, that that tempo is a huge part of this kind of mood. And, and it does set that. And I, I think that Tricky's delivery is a part of this as well Is it. And, and then I even in listening to some of these verses remind me of an even slightly slowed down British Q-tip. Right. Uh, and uh <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and, and those coming in kind of a, a like adjacent to that kind of strain of hip hop, um, and yet it is the the kind of you know like these clatters or like I mean a, a, like a song like struggling right, which is has I think is maybe the song on the album that plays with kind of space and kind of noise the most right, and you know these kinds of. Um, the, the kind of clicks and rattles and kind of gun sounds and and things like that create this sense of tension. Uh, in addition to like a number of um, songs that really are actually higher tempo, right? So the the, the actual variety of um, of texture and tempo and and mood and energy kind of comes across and is is a lot more kind of jarring when it when you are kind of mainlining it, right? As opposed to when it's kind of being absorbed into a larger space. Hmm. Yeah, and I, another thing that you sort of miss that you can miss in the larger space, uh, especially one that's maybe not sonically constructed to like reward the particularities of this uh, of Tricky's production here, right? Is you you can kind of lose the lyrics into a into a wash, you know, and that I I feel like that's that would be a mistake uh, because, you know, I don't know, the lyrics are, are to me where some of the, the more challenging stuff um, uh, comes from. One more little detail that uh, headphones really brings out is that a lot of the sonic material is sort of fluid and melting. There's lots of like mm. bending pitch and bending melodic lines. Mm. And by and large, all of the sounds are drenched in reverb and echo. But there are also every now and then really, really dry sounds that are added in. And in a big room, that'll just get lost. But on headphones, those things like really cut and really disturb. Yeah. yeah because the, I mean, reverb is, you know, is the, the, what the production technique that simulates being in a room or being in a particular room or being in a shower or a cathedral or something like that. Right. And like the room, the room is just a room. It doesn't need to pretend to be a room. It, the room rooms your, your, your music no matter what. Right. Hmm. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah. What's, uh, what's the, what's I am tripping in a room. Uh, different, a different, different from, from the room you're in now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Jordan's referring to to a famous piece of of I don't even know what to call it. Jordan, electronic music, I suppose. Experimental noise solitariness. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that is, um, I forget the name of the composer. I am sitting in a room. Uh, 
is the composer. Oh yeah, Lucier, Alvin Lucier. I am sitting in a room, and he uh, he has a little. He's a he is a uh, sort of experimental music practitioner, and he had a real uh, pronounced stutter, and he um, recorded. Uh, himself reading a little reading a little piece uh, that began I am sitting in a room different from the room you are in now play into a tape player playing it back into another tape player playing it back into another tape player back and forth back and forth and back and forth until the f- and and uh, you hear each generation of this so the piece is like 30 minutes long and it's like 30 generations of this minute long monologue and as it goes on uh, the the um, as it goes on, the kind of the unique qualities of the music are uh, music. The the unique qualities of the music emerge, and the uh, qualities of it being a voice are uh, eradicated. Right. So you basically, end up- the the ambience of the room gradually eats the performer until eventually you just get the sort of like wash of room tone, roughly in the rhythm of the original speech, and all of the language, all of the personality is evacuated. And it, it sounds so- like it sounds like whale song, and you know, at the at the very end, and it's. The the like the dominant sort of resonant frequencies of the room asserting themselves almost almost as though the room is playing him through the medium of his voice. Now, when I brought that up, I was just making a, like, dickish, self-important name drop. But I think it actually might be a useful way to interrogate. <laughs> no, no, no. no. You're, 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 you're on the TFT podcast. Leave it, leave say, it at the level. Way. Like, <laughs> leave it at the so, level of... So, Herbert Marcuse... What... <laughs> t- turning to the lyrics a little bit and to this notion of Bristol, right... Um, in Max and Quiet, do we find an artist that has been sort of overcome by his environment and replaced by his environment? Or do we find something very much not that, you know? To me, um, I feel like the characters in the songs are not tricky. He's sort of talking about people that have been overcome by, like, the place and by drugs and by things of their lives and so on. But he is sort of outside of it observing them, which is sort of a different perspective, I think, than the one that Lucier puts forward. Do you, is there a specific song or a set of songs um, that kind of exemplify this for you? Um, maybe a little bit um, all of them, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking specifically. I think of uh, the the underneath the weeping willow. There there is a weeping wino line from Ponderosa, um, where like on the one hand the wino isn't you. Right. So already there's one layer of um, of observing that's going on. Um, then you also have this. Uh, the place where I stand gives way to liquid lino, which sort of speaks to me. I think lino is meant to be linoleum. Genius didn't give me something to click on there. Uh, but I imagine kind of like walking along and finding the earth sort of turning to taffy under my feet because, you know, because my drugs were kicking in or something like that. Right. Um, but there's something about not on all of the songs, but in that song in particular, I feel like um, like the vocalist's performance seems so kind of like disconnected from the sinister quality of a lot of the musical backing track, even on that song, which is relatively cheerful, but especially when you think of the album as a whole, that it sort of feels like the vocal protagonist cannot actually be the organizing intelligence of it, right? Mm. 
Like the music is a set through which this sort of naive character is wandering, uh, drinking till she's drunk and smoking till she's senseless. Right. Um, and you get the feeling that like, you know, she's really liking her life now, but maybe not leading a life one should like. Right. Um, but I don't feel like it's confessional. I feel like Tricky's kind of projecting another kind of hovering observer character that's there, like in the beat, in the in the music of it, um, who is sort of silently passing judgment on everything that he sees. Yeah, that's I mean, it, right. It's more dramatic. It's more like dramatic. It's more along the lines of a a, a uh, collection of short stories rather than a, like a confessional um a confessional thing i mean this this is the observation that i was going to make which is that the eye like we shouldn't identify the eye of the lyrics with uh you know with the writer himself so this is like uh you know kind of played off of like uh joyce's dubliners right this is bristolers right <laughs> <laughs> um it's the it's it's, it's interesting uh, i think that i think that makes a lot of sense because it's um because and I think it's I think that fits with the the sound though because it is I'm trying to think about how to well I guess another way of thinking about that though is that like tricky another way I mean another like lens on it is that tricky is the room tone right um, in that like and so it's like some of the actual kind of figures because I, I think that these aren't also characters um in in a, in a way of in these kind of story songs right and so that it's not that we get names and lots of individual details um and a kind of uh full arcs but that there are kind of snippets of people in places right um yeah. and, that they, and and that there's like a lot and it's not even that the names have been removed to protect the innocent it's just that they're all a little bit blurred and smeared right and often first person, actually. So it's, yeah. it's worlds of difference between this and the other Weeping Wino song, um, Johnny Royale, right, from the Beastie right. Boys. Right, Where they're, they're, that's like the life story of the neighborhood drunk, and you get his name and everything that happened to him. And this is, this is a much more impressionistic kind yeah. of yeah. subjective-y thing. What I think um, sort of throws my initial reading of it, where like the soundscape is Bristol and the vocalist is sort of the characters he sees and then Tricky is just this evacuated intelligence hovering over it though, is this weird and like very cool vocal doubling thing that goes on throughout the album. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where yeah. like where where Tricky and uh um and uh, Martina Topoli Bird are like, she's mainly singing, and then he sort of chimes in on a word or two. Like, he's sort yeah. of her hype man, except yeah. not because that's not, it, it doesn't feel like a hip hop device, right? It feels like something else there. Yeah, no, I think. Um... I think it's a I think I do think that I agree it's not really Tricky's voice and if anything I had read that part of like what prompted like the recruitment of Martina Topley Bird was that it was like important to have a female vocalist for this album that's sort of ostensibly at least inspired by or in, in by his mother and that mm-hmm. he wanted this kind of it's like he explicitly sought out a female vocalist to have this kind of other like female like like character almost or like female voice uh that is not really like him per se um and i I do think i think i think your reading makes sense like given kind of that 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 background of, of the recruitment of martina for this album 
That's that's really interesting though, because like, you know, when someone sits down to to write a whole bunch of poetry about their mother, right? Like, I I question the degree to which that is ever actually about the person's mother. <laughs> Um, So I I feel like the the blending of the voices together there actually has this really interesting quality of him almost sort of inhabiting her for a minute rather than just kind of like talking about her or talking about what she did to him. I mean, you could imagine it as kind of a, a performative therapy, right? Where he's like, well, well, this was actually the life that she led. Yeah. Um, and I'm not just going to kind of like put her on stage for you. I'm going to put it into a context where I get to sing along and sort of identify with with that vocal character or something for the duration of the song. Yeah, it's it, right. Like it's a, it's a communion or it's a kind of return, you know, a kind of re, re-inhabiting or something like that. It's inter, intersubjective karaoke, right? <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's like actually not only like, and I guess that's, I mean, because like I think the best karaoke does like inhabit, right? Uh, and kind of uh, inhabit like the words and worldview of a singer or, uh, you know, we're, we're all of a school of hyper performative karaoke and so i think that there's a little bit of this kind of slipping in and out of that kind of subjectivity and kind of these like and and i think it's there is like a this kind of you know, it is associated with a specific kind of character in this figure of his mother but there's like kind of many of these kind of shared subjectivities that are slipped into and out of throughout the album yeah, I mean, like, it's, you know, to say, like, people writing poetry about about their mother, like, it's not really about their mother, like, the mother isn't even really, isn't even really their mother, right? Like, it's a, it's a, I don't know, I feel like it, it's, it, uh, is a lot of, it's a lot of things here, right? Like it's sort of the mother is, is the city or the, I mean, or the society or, you know, the mother is kind of the counterpoint sometimes to the, uh, uh, to the depredations of the, of the society. Um, what, what, you know, the things that, uh, it, 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 the the mother is sort of conspicuously is sort of conspicuously absent on, on some of the, the bleaker, you know some of the bleaker moments that are that seem to be lacking, right, in a mother's lover care. Well, I, I had to, I had to laugh and kind of thinking about this as uh, you know songs or you know poetry inspired by one's mother because um, the the lyric if there I mean and this will surprise no one the, the lyric that jumped out at me uh, every on every spin of the album uh, is the um, is the hotel motel hotel motel I fuck you in the ass just for a laugh uh, with the quick speed I make your nose bleed I ride the premenstrual cycle forget about Michael now here's the big blast I like the big cash. Um, and so on, right? And and, uh, and uh, hey, I'm shocked that none of us recited that lyric to to the other <laughs> um, uh, in in our in our opening lines. But it it was it, I think it's you know in some ways. What are some of the things that that evoked? I think that I I think that that line among other things was part of what like focused uh, part of why it jumped out out um, is because. 
one comes in with these priors of chillness and an expectation of, of chillness, um, that what, when that comes in, um, that, that, that is a kind of, uh, a, the aggressiveness of attitude, um, is kind of surprising and kind of, um, and, and is, is in one's face. Um, I don't know that, that lyric grabbed me. <laughs> <laughs> It also just sort of a tangent. The hotel motel, hotel yeah. motel is another yeah. another example of of hop tripping, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, and what's the other one? There's a isn't there a reference to? Um, yeah, it's really. It's, it's I'm not sure the hop is tripping. It seems like the hop is being tripped. You know. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, uh, it's like yeah, tricky. A... Tricky has his foot out in front of the. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, one of those songs, it, it, like, has a pretty clear, like, uh, the Cypress Hill song, uh, yeah. if I, the... Kill I, a Man. Kill a Man, yes, <laughs> thank you. Uh, you know, it has, like, a very, like, a, a quick little, like, a, I don't know, uh, you know, whatever, sampling of that, of that song for a hot second. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think definitely the, the, the hip-hop touchstones are there. Uh, Which then, oh no, gone. No, 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 go on. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say, so, so I feel like having the um, the the hip hop bona fides of the album established, right? What are we then meant to make of a song like Pumpkin, which feels like like lounge music or something, right? It's it's like if uh, if all songs were James Bond theme songs, then maybe this is what what hip hop would have turned into, you know. Um, but I, it's very hard to, to understand what to do with like a hip hop album that has that song on it. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think one, and this is like the cop out, but like, is that this is at a, at a sense, this is another, like, says this being a hip hop album from Bristol, right? Because I, I think about that as being very connected to, um, uh, Portishead. And it, that, that's not the Portishead sampling one, but like, no, I think yeah. that that sound, and even like this sounding like James Bond, uh, songs and sounding like kind of old movie soundtracks or the lounge music is kind of, the the core competency or head of the contribution of of Portishead to this kind of sound. So I think one uh, other piece, right, is that if this is kind of um, engaged in Bristol in some of the ways that we're talking, then some of the genre crossing is happening there. But it still doesn't quite go quite deep enough other than so it's like well that's just what's happening there is that like you know people uh are in, engaged in all of these things and this is this is part of a of a scene um but it still kind of raises the question of why that became this a, a, a an area of like fixation and focus to to begin with yeah, and it also kind of like presents us with a world in which everyone who's from Bristol at this time will experience that song one way, and it'll kind of be a non-issue to them. Yeah. And everybody else will be like, "Ooh, Bristol exotic," you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is you know, Tricky couldn't have had the financial success that he did selling only to people who lived in the Bristol city limits. So right. to a certain degree, that's like that's part of the part of the game, part of the deal. The the I mean it it's in 12, I don't know what to make of that song. It's in it's in twelve eight also, which right like is another thing that that 
yeah. makes it a little weird on a on a hip hop album, yeah. and it's like the the you know I don't know it's it, it references more like um, classic classic R and B or classic uh, you know older 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 music, right? Like uh, I just I, I would like to hear actually Pumpkin is probably like a Fats Domino cover. Right. Like, you know, I can just imagine him, you know, banging out those major chords on the uh, on the piano in 12 eight and singing pumpkin, you know, as 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 it goes. I have have another like uh, looking at a lyric on this song actually is maybe another interpretation is the line. um, I can't breathe and I can't see MTV moves too fast. I refuse to understand you go your way and I'll see mine. And I, I think that that. I mean, especially thinking about this as kind of, at least for us and kind of people who are right around our age, this was kind of a period of peak MTV and so many of the things that broke huge and were kind of, you know, parts of big, you know, trends or or mini trends. Um I mean, you start to, I think, at this time, um, uh, you know, start to see these kinds of swings from alternative to Britpop. Um, and, you know, and, and there's just a leap around the corner and kind of different um, corners of hip hop, you know, from East Coast to West Coast. And so this idea of MTV moving too fast um, is is there. And um, what's the the other kind of the other idea that I think is possibly like related to this um, is the title of if everything that is trendy is moving so fast and you can't really trend hop. One option is to just go like if, if brand new, your re- your retro then is then retro is brand new. Right. Um, mm. And going kind of older and more out there um, is, is, is actually more path breaking. Right. And it's exactly what you were saying. Um, like Jordan of um, on the one hand by being kind of so omnivorous and so both simul Janice faced, right. Kind of simultaneously forward looking and backward looking. It sounded like the future and then immediately came to be able to be taken, taken for granted <laughs> um, uh, because it like, it like it was path breaking, but then the, the path that it broke happened to be like a four lane super highway straight to a W hotel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we and we and everyone just ended up there uh and and uh and and had a cocktail uh in in the lobby <laughs> yeah well you know after the party it is the hotel lobby hmm. yeah no i mean it is funny how that i mean because even that like the pumpkin song you know it it is like you said you know it's kind of like if you're in the elevator it just sounds like a james bond song but then if you're, you know, maybe listening to it in the headphones, you can hear you can hear what makes it sort of like the off James Bond song or like the James Bond song of the haunted or something. It's um, and, and you and it's it's kind of it's interesting to me how I guess because there's this that forward and backward looking thing, the the use of. You know, not only like the touchstones of hip hop, but then like I guess there are like there are these samples that are like kind of old, old, backward looking samples. Um, and I feel like once you put that those tracks sort of like in an elevator, 
I don't know, a jazz sample just sounds like a nice jazz sample, right? And 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 you know, you don't hear your you know it. You don't hear, uh, I guess, like any of the kind of texture there, um, or the you don't I, hear, you don't hear the intention behind it, right? Like I, it kind of it reverts to its component parts, and if the component mm-hmm. parts aren't that, uh, you know, aren't that challenging, you kind of lose the sense of the challenge, which is entirely dependent on understanding the context. It's interesting because, really? uh, uh, like, you know, Tricky called this album like a coffee table book. Like, like he said that he's like upset that that's what it became a coffee table book. And I do think there is like something apt about that. Right. It is just like, you know, because coffee table books are like are beautiful and and kind of well designed. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm talking some. I want like Rizzoli Press, like top notch coffee table book. Yeah, like Toshin, a, like Toshin, a Toshin, right? yeah. Toshin, like a Toshin book, right? You know. Um, but I do think there's something interesting there about like that kind of uh, describing it that way. Because like a coffee table book is a book that rather than getting it to read, you get it to put out where people can walk into your space and comment on how how clever you are to have it, right? Basically, right. So the use case he's imagining is throwing a, a dinner party that's meant to be hip and putting this on in the background to show how right. hip you are, rather than, which maybe, I mean, I tend to think that DJs usually plan to have their music played in clubs, but maybe this was really meant to be headphone music, right? Like you can't, you can't really virtue signal uh, if no one else can hear, he's, you can. <laughs> <laughs> he's totally. He was way ahead of his time. He was into those the headphone clubs that exist now. That the you know the technology has now enabled, where everyone just listens to to the DJ on headphones. I, I feel like the headphone, um, the idea of it being headphone music, also to me, it, to me, it makes me think of it as like kind of introverted music. Hmm. Like this is music for like being alone, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's, it is like, it's not social music. It's not supposed to be, I think it is supposed to be like being alone. Yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of the reviews referred to it as like an, an erotic album. And I was like, what kind of creepy, like <laughs> weird ball is making out to tricky. <laughs> yeah. It's that, that definitely uh, misses several of the points. <laughs> I mean, it's like erotic in the way, like I think the weekend gets posited as erotic, which is just like, Kind of like squinting, misreading of the weekend too. I think you know. Oh, cocaine! Cocaine is very sexy. <laughs> well, it's, it, it confuses right, it's, it confuses the the like the two Freudian drives, right? Like the erotic drive and the death drive. Uh, <laughs> and I suppose they they do look a little bit like the the specter of ex like excess, you know, looks similar between the two. But yeah, it is. I mean, though there is, I I did remember reading in Rolling Stone or something like this, something about like, uh, or I don't know, maybe it was later because it was like playlists, like uh, something that that a a woman wrote that's like, why does every guy I, you know, I meet and go home with always have Portishead queued up on the, you know, queued up on the CD player when I go in. So I feel like this genre gets tagged with with that, like this is doing it music, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. rather than uh, uh, rather than it being like the subject matter of these songs uh, in particular. 
Yeah. Although that's interesting because if that uh, that anecdote is really apt, then this isn't so much doing it music as it is like um, it is seduction music, right? Like it's some guy's idea of what would possibly uh, cause the, the, it to get done rather than like a, a couple in a stable relationship who's like, oop, time to put on the scented candle and, and fire up Max and Quay, you know, yeah, exactly. the, the it's babysitter. A, it's, a, it's, it's doing it music if you both hate yourselves a little bit. <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> like, and, and my friends, if you have not been in a relationship like that, then you have really missed out on everything, everything the weekend has to teach us. Uh, we might be, uh, our, uh, our erotic session together might be coming to an, uh, to an end, uh, the final thoughts on, on Max and Quay, or should we just, uh, you know, uh, should we just, uh, uh, kind of trip off, trip hop off into the sunset? I, I will say I I do like this album. Um, just as like a final thought, like it it is it is like many thumbs up for me. There's no scale on the show. But hold on, hold I, on. I, TFT punk correspondent Rachel D. I have a question. Yeah. This Max and Quay with its downer <laughs> music. Is it downer music? <laughs> you know, it is. It, I know. It. This is like. This is what. This is how I can be down with chill music. Is it has to actually be like pretty aggressive <laughs> and negative. <laughs> that's what I like. That's what I'm okay with. Chill, quote unquote, music. And I think. Yeah, I think for that, I want to say I like this album. I think it's very well put together. Um, I don't really think it has too much bloat. It's about the right length. I think there's a lot of like variety in like both the kind of sonic reference points. It's the hip hop, the dub production, the jazz and soul samples and, you know, James Bond S songs from, you know, from the ghost world. Uh, but n- like in all seriousness, I think it's it's uh, it's very well put together has a lot of different sounds without sounding inconsistent or weird. And I like that it kind of, to me, is in the arc of the kind of thing I like, which is, um, you know, I, I do view it through the lens of like, you know, this is kind of part of the same project as like The Clash or um, or like even like the Fugazi dub album or, the specials. or like or the specials, even like major laser early work. You know, it like to me, it's this kind of thread of like the, kind of, you know, uh, you know, rock, uh, rock and, and, and like, and, and hip hop and, and, and just like punk albums influenced, uh, by, by dub and like Jamaican, um, music in general. And I, I kind of, I tend to like that as like a running strain for things I like. And so I, I enjoyed revisiting this and kind of reminding myself like why, it kind of makes sense that I liked this so much when it, when I did. I feel <laughs> well, like another a punk rock correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like another lineage that you could kind of put it into, um, which I don't know if this is historical, but it makes for a very interesting sort of listening voyage, is to take out all of the idiosyncratic vocal choices and just think about Tricky as a hip hop producer, and then sort of like try to put him into some kind of heritage that runs through like the bomb squad on the one hand and like the RZA on another hand um, and like Grandmaster Flash going back and I don't know even going forward 
like maybe like Dan the Automator or somebody like that for sort okay. of a like a sanitized version of some of the stuff that Tricky's doing here. Um, well, we'll, and, and we'll get we'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> don't doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a that's a promise. That's not a threat. That uh... oh, it's both. It's both. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a threat. it's a threat of a half shark, alligator, half man. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, uh, so. The TFT podcast continues its uh, its journey through the 1990s. Uh, please join us next week. Please join us in the comments on the show notes for this episode. Please join us on uh, Twitter at TFT Podcast on Facebook Theory for Turn tables and uh wherever and however you join us whatever you do please remember to keep it real <laughs> <laughs>